Hello and welcome to the European Movement in Scotland's podcast series, European Conversations. I'm Kirsty Hughes and today I'm in conversation with David Gow. David is the editor of the webzine Skeptical.Scot and he's the former European business editor of The Guardian. David, it's two and a half months now before the UK leaves the EU's single market and customs union. Time is really running out, isn't it? And at the EU summit last Thursday, the 15th of October, mid-October, that's what the EU leaders said too. They said we really must continue these talks and get to a deal. But of course, the next day on last Friday, Boris Johnson got up and said this was somehow not good enough. The EU needed to improve its offer. And so he wasn't going to carry on talks, except actually then it seemed he is going to carry on talks in the sense that David Frost and Michel Barnier, the two chief negotiators, are going to talk next week. So this is really all over the place from the UK side, it seems. What do you think is going on? Well, I think a lot of people think that there's a, there's a typical uh, gamesmanship on the part of, of Johnson that uh, a uh, he needs to manufacture a kind of crisis uh, for internal domestic political reasons and to keep everybody on side and he thinks that that's the best way to kind of uh, uh, you know force the hand of the EU it was very noticeable that he said don't come and talk to me unless you've got or us unless you've got something really concrete you have to come to us whereas of course they said you have to come to us so uh, I mean we're in a standoff uh, but on the other hand, there is still a desire on the part of, certainly on the part of the uh, of the Europeans to reach a deal, but not at any cost. I mean, that's why, in a way, the results of the summit last week were not surprising. And I mean, the European side have always said on and off the record, it's not us who are going to ever walk away from these talks. And of course, that's exactly now what has happened is that the UK has sort of walked away, so certainly made the mood music worse, but, but the European side are, are still there, and they're certainly being tough, aren't they? But they're still there. They are still there. I mean, I don't think it's... A, I, I don't think the, uh, the evidence is that the EU sees absolutely zero interest in breaking off the talks. They do not want to be held responsible for it because they think this is all part of a Johnsonian game, and they are extremely pissed off with him, to put it bluntly, uh, the trust in the UK now has reached very, very low proportions. In fact, you know, it's, it's astonishing. The, the, the damage wrought by the internal market bill, both, at, both in Europe and, of course, in Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland as well, um, has, been a quite, has been a serious, has been quite profound. Nevertheless, they do not wish to break off the deal. And they are indeed, Monsieur Michel Barnier, their chief negotiator, will be uh, on the phone to David Frost or Lord Frost on uh, tomorrow morning, as far as we know, Monday morning, as far as we know. Uh, but I, 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 one gets the sense now that uh, the, whereas last week in the run-up to the summit, the mood music was, well, yes, we are inching our way. There won't be a deal this week, but we are going there. Notably, we're now back into, well, if there is a deal, it will be very thin, uh, but it's just as likely there won't be any deal at all. And they will break out, the UK that is, will leave the customs union and the single market on January the 1st, quotes, on Australian terms, end quotes. 
And this, this is, of course, just uh, just as a small aside in all, all this rhetoric from Boris Johnson, that there, there isn't an Australian deal, is, is there? This is a kind of cover for, for this would be a terrible, chaotic no deal. That's correct. This would be a terribly chaotic no deal. And what's more, I think it's now very... What is astonishing about this is that, you know, this is almost like, as it were, turning Marxism on its head. You know, in a way, and, and Marx, you know, the economic infrastructure dictates the political superstructure. But here we have the privacy of politics. This seems to be driven by an extraordinary amount of domestic conservative, British conservative uh, politics rather than the economy. Uh, the economy is very striking today, for example, where you've got something like, I can't remember how many different bodies representing the real British economy. Uh, saying that even a thin deal would be so deleterious for uh, for the British economy, coming on top of COVID-19 and the damage being wrought by that. I mean, we're talking seriously now about a lot of the city being locked out of Europe. Uh, we're talking about a British farming uh, suffering, uh, having quite absolutely very, very serious damage if any kind of tariffs are, are imposed. Uh, we're also talking about, you know, the uh, Japanese uh, car manufacturers and the German car manufacturers and others basically, uh, you know, gradually thinking very, you know, it doesn't take, you know, it takes a long time to create a factory, uh, a car plant, especially kind of a modern one. But nevertheless, I think they'll be thinking very seriously about leaving the UK. I mean, it is not in the, it's not in the elemental interests of the uh, UK to leave on, you know, thin, uh, with a thin deal, or indeed, let alone no deal. And I mean, as, as you mentioned earlier, I mean, and, and it's true, isn't it? It is quite extraordinary, the range of sectors that, that are going to get hit so hard by, by Brexit with a deal or even worse, without a deal. And as you said earlier, the internal market bill is also a problem here. Um, it, it actually attempts to unilaterally rewrite part of the withdrawal agreement that Boris signed with the EU last autumn um, and, and breaks international law in so doing. So those clauses will have to come out if there's going to be a deal. But again, I think we see the EU being very mature and grown up, don't we? They, they do want a deal, not on any terms. Those clauses breaking the international agreement will have to come out. But they, they've put in place a slow moving complaints procedure on that, legal procedure on that, so that if there's a deal, they're assuming Johnson will take those bits out and and they'll manage to sort of, you know, hide his blushes on that. I think that seems to be the way they're, they're going. And as you say, I mean, they're not kind of banging the drum and saying, thou shalt obey EC, you know, European Court of Justice rulings and you'll be subject to this and subject. This this notion that the uh, that the uh, that the EU does not recognise the independent status of the uh, of the of the UK is, I think, thoroughly disingenuous and misleading and, and utterly misleading. Of course, they do. What they don't recognise is that is a, as you say, the right of the UK to break international law in the way in which they have done or are purported to do with this bill, but also the way in which they've tried to effectively and they still are at it, trying to get the EU to alter, to remain, to, to, to soften, to undo some of its own key, you know, integrationist um, 
elements, namely the single market in particular. This is a this is for the EU. This is absolutely core, and they will not allow that to happen. So if if Johnson wants to push it all the way to the wire and leave without a deal, well, so be it. It will be his fault, as as a uh, Terry Reinke, the uh, German uh, Green MEP, tweeted earlier today. Um, don't blame others for your mess, Prime Minister. It's your own creation. Yes, that, that, that's very succinct, isn't it? And, and, and while the EU is being grown up, they're, they're certainly getting ever less Im impressed and, and perhaps more, more irate. And in terms of what you were, you were saying, yes, the, of course the UK is a, a sovereign country, but Boris Johnson and, and his coterie are rather presenting an idea of some absolute sovereignty untouched by relations with other countries. And yet at the same time, they want to be part of the global trading system. And, and there was that phrase used a lot at the start of the Brexit process of, of Britain wanting its cake and eat it. And, and it seems, at least in the rhetoric, that's very much there. Um, and when, when you step down a level in terms of the, the details, you know, any article you read or anyone you listen to at the moment who, who knows what's going on says there's basically three issues at stake here. And if we can solve those, we get a deal. So as you know, that's fisheries, that's the level playing field, which is which is what you were touching on just then already. Um, and then the overall dispute settlement and, and governance issues. So. Should we start with the level playing field? Why, why do you think that one's proving so hard? Because the uh, because the because the, um, the the EU has very specific uh, rules, as you know, on state aid and so on, and uh, and also they 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 do not wish they they because they they've heard the British, uh, the Conservative government, for many many uh, months uh, talking about. Singapore style things and whether and if that's the deregulation, they do not want simply, you know, they cannot allow a country as close to them as they are uh, to undercut, uh, you know, European companies, European firms in the manner in which they've threatened. Uh, so that's not that is simply not on. But there, there, there must be some kind of, as people have pointed out, the Brits, they, they're not hugely involved. They don't give a huge amount of state aid, though. I noticed that Cummings, you know, Dominic Cummings is talking about major investments by the UK now. But the, the, uh, for, the, for the Europeans to have any kind of offshore uh, island economy which is trying to undercut them and undercut their market, no, that's unacceptable. And, and the line that seems to have been coming out from various Downing Street sources is to say the UK did move a bit in the last couple of weeks on state aid. On state aid. It, it finally, very belatedly, started to set out some of the main principles that, that it would apply in future, having left the EU's rules, but that they didn't get a response from the EU on fisheries, and that, that this lies behind Johnson's, what I would call, tantrum. Yes, I mean fisheries is, as we know, is a very, I mean, it's quite important for uh, parts of the, uh, notably for parts of Scotland, uh, but also elsewhere. But the fisheries is a very kind of highly emotive and highly symbolic thing, which relates very much to this independence issue. The idea of being an independent, i.e., control over your uh, fishing waters and over your uh, over your limits, uh, at maritime limits, uh, and and so on. No, I mean I think the I think the the EU 
the impression I get, actually, is that the EU, whether it's stated it formally or not, and we don't know, uh, is quite willing to um, discuss uh, arrangements and come to, come to a compromise. And, and even Macron, uh, President Macron, uh, on, on uh, Friday was talking about, was talking about, well, of course, you know, we may have to scale down our ambitions and it won't be, uh, it will not be exactly the same as it was before. So I think there's a there's a quite a bit of false um, a false a uh, posturing going on here on the part of the Brits. I think that's right, isn't it? It's it's rather curious. I mean, I, I remember back in January before we all were focused on the COVID crisis. I was in Brussels and someone suggested to me that perhaps a deal on fish, where effectively quotas or the amount of fish the EU got from British waters was about 20% less. Now, I don't know if that's anything like what we might end up with with a deal, but, you know, people have been thinking about it for, for some time here. And as you say, even Macron, he's been one of the, the toughest in his public statements about Britain, but even Macron has indicated there's some, some wiggle room. Um, and then last but not least is the dispute settlement system, which goes under the bland phrase governance. Um, this is obviously very important to the EU because it's a, it's a sort of legally based law abiding organization, but it's become much more important with Johnson's willingness to, to break the terms of the withdrawal agreement in the internal market bill. So do you think this is a real stumbling block? I mean, having a tough dispute settlement mechanism is not the same as demanding the UK still comes under the European Court of Justice, is it? No, that, I think that was the point we made earlier, that, the, you know, there is, not, there is no talk about the ECJ having complete control, you know, being, being the kind of the, the prime um, legal authority in the UK anymore. This is just, this is it's a red herring. Uh, and I think, you know, that, I mean, it, International dispute settlements, it's a highly fraught issue, as you know, as one knows, through things like the W, through the World Trade Organization and in other trade deals as well. Uh, and sometimes if other trade deals have fallen as a result. But, you know, I don't think there's any suggestion here that they cannot reach a deal. I mean, this is the whole point. I think that throughout this, there is a sense in which, um, you know, the, the uh, Johnson and his team are really, really pushing for, uh, you know, the uh, ultimate deal to be struck at the very last minute. They, 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 they still have this notion that, you know, you know, Europe stops the clock, uh, you know, at one minute to midnight, and you can still negotiate and so on and so forth and, and reach the deal. It's very uh, naive, I, isn't it? It's, it's very naive, and it's, it's hard to know how much it's ignorance and naivety and how, how much it's posturing for his domestic supporters, because people do say number 10 is very much in, like, perma-campaigning mode. That's certainly the case. They are in perma, yes. <laughs> but, but, I mean, I think it's also part of this, it's, it seems to me to be part of this, this, um, this global Britain fantasy. I mean, the Brits, the British... Uh, I'm speaking here as a Scot and a European. The British seem to have, or the English, seem to have, still seem to have this delusion that people are listening to them in the same way as they may have done 50, even 50 years ago. Um, it's very interesting how, for example, they are, they don't rate very highly on the, on the radar when it comes to, say, the Chinese, 
when it comes to, say, the Russians, except insofar as it, it's a useful kind of a useful idiot for dividing and ruling Europe. And it looks like they may, fingers crossed, they may have backed the wrong cause in America. I mean, Johnson, Cummings, et al. have put all their eggs into the Trump basket. And there's all these reports now coming out of uh, coming out of Washington and elsewhere that a uh, Biden a Biden uh, administration, and particularly one which also has control of the Senate, uh, in other words, has all three institutions, will not be very interested in striking kind of deals with the uh, with the Brits, you know, trade deals which undermine um, undermine the, um, the Europe. Um, they see their interests as being much more strikingly involved with um, Germany in the first place and, and also France. So there again, there's, I think there's, uh, goes back to what I was talking about in terms of the political primacy. They seem to think that politically, they live in a world, I would think that sometimes they, pay, they talk as if they live in the world of the 1950s. And uh, they seem to think that somehow, you know, being global and everybody's gonna stand up and say, wow, Britain is so wonderful. Uh, you know, we have to do what he asks. It's not going to happen. It's just the world has changed so dramatically. And this country, even, you know, even the, 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 the division, the, 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 sorry, the, even the problem we saw with the internal market bill, the ratings agency, we saw that last week after, this got a little play in Britain, I know, but Moody's downgraded the, um, the credit rating of the UK after the, you know, there, there was no deal reached at the EU summit. And one of the reasons why is because of a lack of confidence in the UK's political in, uh, structures. And that means they don't like it very much in terms of demo, in terms of its de commitment to democracy. It, yes, it's, I think the, the UK has very little idea of how it's now seen internationally. And, and as you say, there seems to be a growing gap between these grandiose ideas of, of Britain's potential role in the world and, and what a small country we are in global terms and much smaller, of course, because of Brexit. Can, can I throw in one Scottish question before, before we end here? Um, we're either heading for a very thin deal, as you, say, as you said earlier, that will be damaging economically or really damaging and chaotic no deal. But even with the deal, there's, there's, there's going to be a lot of problems at borders and, and knock-on economic effects. So if you did end up with an independent Scotland, and that's going to carry on being the central political issue here, how big a problem do you think that border issue is going to be? The border between Scotland and the, and, and, and England, or the rest of the UK? Yes, or, if we had yeah. independence in Scotland. Well, I mean, I think as you yourself have said, it's it's elsewhere. I think it will be a very it's it will be quite a it will be quite a big a quite a big issue because you know uh, and so much of this will depend on a the terms in which Britain leaves and and b also uh, the uh, the length of time it's going to take for a, an independent Scotland to uh, be, to come to pass and also to rejoin the EU. So, I mean, all of this is, you know, uh, uh, is, is in the lap of the gods. Uh, I mean, Andrew Wilson, the, uh, in an otherwise kind of rather vacuous uh, interview in the Herald uh, on Sunday, uh, indicated anything of any substance was that he thought it might be um, independence by 2026. 
uh, I mean, I suppose that's pushing it a bit, but even that. But um, so, yes, uh, the border will be a very important issue. But uh, and the longer the longer Scotland is out of the uh, EU, the bigger it will become. And, the, and on the other hand, as you say, it's not an overnight process. If, if we're looking at, at the, at the most optimistic time-wise for, for pro-independence supporters of maybe Scotland joining the EU as an independent country by by almost 2030. Who knows what might have happened to UK politics by then? And if you get a, a Keir Starmer Labour government, it, it might bring the UK back much closer to the European Union. And, and that's certainly one of the pluses even of a thin deal, isn't it? With a thin deal, you have a chance to carry on talks about other deals, side deals, things that will actually make everything better in the coming years. And if you get no deal, you, you, you've got an ongoing crisis. I think that's right. I mean, quite clearly, if there were to be a Labour government, I mean, don't forget, they have to make, they would have to uh, win more seats, I think, than anybody has done, certainly since way back when. Uh, I mean, Starmer, Starmer would have. But nevertheless, I mean, a Labour government or a coalition government or whatever it was, a pro-European, pro in, in inverted commas, government would obviously, I think, would wish to revisit any kind of deal which the EU and the UK are likely to strike. And I, and I think it's quite clear, too, from what one hears, that the Europeans, the EU 27, would be very interested in that. They see no interest in... in I mean, Johnson talks about, you know, after 45 years of membership, you know, they're still treat, they're treating us worse than Canada. What was he expect? I mean, the Brits decided to leave. Uh, they haven't played very well. Uh, you know, they are, they used to be renowned. There's a, the expression in every country of Europe, they don't talk about, you know, uh, they just talk about fair play, le fair play, das fair play, you know, in German and French, in French and German. Uh, and Brits have not been playing fair. Yeah, and if they're waiting for us to, to maybe find our, our, to some extent, our old selves again. Well, I think there, there we must leave it. I just have one final, uh, final sort of one word answer question, which is, we're now the 18th of October today. And are we going to get a deal or no deal? It obviously does really matter. Um, what, what's, your, what's your probability of a deal? I think the probability of a deal is around about, well, I would say 55-45. Let's go back to September 2014. 55-45. A deal by December the 1st. Okay. Well, we, we have to hope that probability goes goes back up again. That, that That's a pretty high chance of a no deal there. So, David, thanks very much for talking to me today. I'm Kirsty Hughes, and today I was in conversation with David Gale. Thanks for listening.